Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolia's First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the connect form and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281-343-3033. Well, good morning, First Family. So good to see you this morning. We welcome those of you who are watching online or watching the recording of this service later on. Uh, In these last weeks together, we have been journeying through the New Testament book of Philippians. And uh, that is Paul's letter of joy. And it is so important for us to understand what the apostle said through the leadership of the Holy Spirit even all these centuries after it was written because it is the will of God for every Christ follower to live a life filled with joy, something that is deeper and more lasting than mere happiness. And in week one of our series, I gave you my definition of joy, and I want to repeat that today just to set the context Joy is a deep and abiding sense of delight and contentment in Jesus because you love him and you trust in him. A deep and abiding sense of delight and contentment in Jesus that is not dependent upon the circumstance. God is giving us something in joy that is that is enduring, it is resilient. Uh, He intends for our joy to be sustained in our hearts and our lives, even when life in this fallen world is painful and hard, as it often is. But with that being said, we need to understand that there are things in this world and in the experience of life in a fallen world that the enemy of our souls wants to use to kill our joy, to extinguish our joy, to replace our joy with discouragement and despair. There are life experiences that are tools in his hands to seek to do that. It may be financial needs or or needs for Uh, a job or a career. Uh, It may be health threats or discouraging diagnoses. It could be relationship problems with your family or with friends, even friends that might betray you. Or it might be the failure to reach some goal that was really important to you and the realization that 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 you held as important was never going to be experienced in your life. It could be a number of different things. The list could go on and on, but there is one joy killer that is especially insidious and dangerous for Christ followers, and it is the joy killer of legalism. Legalism. And as we come to Philippians 3, the Apostle Paul warns them about it, and he illustrates its inadequacy and its failure to please God through it. 
and he tells them of the new covenant. Sally, I don't know whether you picked that song intentionally or not, but it fits perfectly with this sermon, with this passage. That it is only the cross, that we have nothing else to bring. But in the early church, before they had the completed New Testament, there were those who were spreading a message that was quite different than the message of grace. And Paul is trying to help them and all of the early believers and all the generations of Christ followers that would follow that when Christ came, he didn't come to add to or reform the old covenant. He came to abolish it. That doesn't mean we don't learn from the New Testament. I mean, the Old Testament. The Old Testament is rich in truth, and the New Testament states that. But the old covenant of being right with God in the old ways is gone, and the new covenant of faith in Christ and the atonement of His blood for our sins has taken its place. And so, Paul helps them understand what this new covenant faith is all about in Philippians chapter 3. And uh, I didn't plan when this is not in my notes, but I didn't plan when I planned this sermon series at, at this season. I felt led of the Lord. I had no idea at the time it would be my last series with you, but if I had to pick a last series, it would be the book of Philippians because it is the richest, most practical truth, along with the book of James that we had a great time with together. It is the most practical theology, I believe, in all of the Pauline epistles and perhaps uh, apart from the life of Jesus, the rest of the New Testament. So dive in with me. Philippians chapter 3 uh, if you have your Bibles with you, open it, whatever, follow along in whatever translation you have. Uh, as always, I teach from the New Living Translation, and those verses from that translation will be on the screen. Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Paul says, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Now, when this passage has been taught uh, from other translations, uh, it, it, it is rendered, Paul saying, finally, and goes on in verse 1. And I've heard preachers make jokes, never believe it when preachers say finally, and not even with Paul, he goes on for two more chapters. Well, I, to be honest, I think that's an inappropriate and not a useful bit of humor because the Greek word there that some translations render as finally can also just as commonly be rendered or translated in any case or as the team of translators for the New Living translated, whatever happens... Whatever happens in your life. And can I just say that living in a fallen world, a lot of whatever's happen, don't they? Some of you could tell the whatever 
that you have been going through recently in your life and what you've gone through in the past. Life in a fallen world is filled with whatever kind of stuff. And Paul is starting this passage, this section of the letter, by saying, when those things happen, whatever happens, whenever it happens, don't let it steal your joy. Don't let it extinguish your joy. It is God's will and plan that you learn to live above those things. It's not that they're not real. It's not that they're not difficult. It's not that they're not problematic or painful. But you are to learn how to live above them, that your happiness may waver a little bit with them, but your joy must never waver. Because joy is the presence of Jesus in your heart. And so, understanding that danger, that's still much, very much a danger today, Paul warns them about the joy killer of legalism. And he tells them what it really is that sustains joy, that it's not legalism. He tells them how to have joy when the whatever happens. And he not only warns them of the issue of legalism, he warns them about those that had infiltrated that good church in Philippi and were trying to spread the spiritual cancer of legalism. Look at verse 2. He says, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. Now, what's the Apostle Paul talking about here? When we speak of circumcision in, in our day and in our culture, we understand that to be a, a minor surgical procedure. Well, the baby might not think so, but a minor surgical su procedure that parents of male infants can choose to have or not have done on their child, and it's, it has hygienic implications but it has no religious meaning. It was entirely different in first century. It was entirely different in Judaism. In Judaism, circumcision was a religious ritual. It was the identifying mark of a faithful Jewish male. And the the act, the surgical procedure of ritualism wasn't done in a hospital. It was done... In a, in a way that, that understood it as a religious ceremony. It was a part of the system of the old covenant that people sought to become right with God. It was part of the old covenant that included the sacrificial uh, worship by sacrificing animals for the atonement of sin and other rituals in, in ancient Judaism, all of which, follow me, all of which were intended to be images foreshadowing what Christ would do permanently for all the centuries that would follow until he comes again. Are you with me? Those were images. Those were foreshadows. But they had embraced them as what one must do to be right with God. And so these teachers in the Philippian church, and in particular in the Galatian church, 
were teaching that you had to add these things to faith. That it was not salvation by grace through faith alone, but you had to add these things to faith. You had to, to, to follow these certain rules, many of which they had made up on their own. And so they clouded and, and, and minimized the reality of the sufficiency of faith in Christ. And so Paul calls these teachers that were corrupting the theology of the early church, he calls them dogs. Dogs. It was a term in the Greek of derision. It was a term that self-righteous Jews would use to describe non-Jews or Gentiles. They were dogs. Now, can I say the image of that Greek word translated dogs is not of a treasured pet. Some of the rest of you out there like me, you're dog people. You know, so, sometimes I want to do things for our little dog, Sophie, and, and my family will say, she's a dog. And I will say, but she's my dog. And those of you who have little dogs that'll jump up in your lap and they love you unconditionally, you take care of them. I, I take care of Sophie. I take her to the vet. She has high blood pressure and heart problems, and her medicine costs more than my medicine, but I buy it. And every now and then I take her to the groomer and, you know, and they trim her and they shampoo her with a non-allergenic shampoo and, and, you know, she comes back with a little bow around her neck. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Don't look at me like I'm the only idiot that does this, all right? And I will never forget the time a few years ago when our niece uh, was visiting us and, and she said, can I take Sophie for a walk? And we said, yes, uh, you know, put her on the leash and just walk down our street, okay? And, and so she did. And, and in our subdivision, you are supposed to contain your dogs, if not with a physical fence, with an electrical fence. You know how those work? And they're supposed to keep, the, especially the bigger dogs, from coming out. Well, as she was walking down the street, and she was just a young girl, as she was walking down the street, one of our down-the-street neighbors had two bigger dogs that, that were not friendly dogs, and they didn't have an electrical fence or it wasn't working. And as she was walking, those two dogs ran out of their yard, and they attacked Sophie. And by the time she was able to get Sophie away from them and, and get home crying, Sophie was wounded and bleeding. And I have to confess to you, my brothers and sisters, as I went down to the house of that neighbor and beat on the door, I was not Pastor Ed. <laughs> I wasn't there to tell him about Jesus. I was angry. Because my precious little dog, and she healed up fine, and I finally cooled down, and he apologized profusely, and I received it, and, and we're friends, and, and all, all of that. But, 
what my point in all of that, when Paul says dogs, he's not talking about the Sophies of our family. He's talking about mangy, vicious, stray dogs that will kill other animals and even kill people. That's the term there. That's how bad what these people were doing really was. To Paul, they were dogs because they were attacking viciously and destroying the life of the theology of the sufficiency of Christ to the Philippians. And so he's saying, beware of them. Don't fall for their lies. Don't embrace legalism that minimizes and neutralizes grace through faith. And he goes on in verse 3 to say, For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. In other words, what that meant to image, image to be, what that meant to foreshadow in, under the old covenant, those of us who have received Christ by faith, all of that reality that was uh, just an image under the old covenant, that is now real in our hearts. It's not the act. Of a, of, a, of a physical, medical procedure. We are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. Those early believers were learning what salvation by grace through faith really meant. And that everything that they had been waiting for was fulfilled in Christ and his sacrificial death and triumphant resurrection. And so he goes on to say in the middle of verse 3, we put no confidence in human effort. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. What's he saying here? He's saying these dogs, these heretical teachers, act like they've got it all together keeping the the rituals and rules of Judaism. And Paul said, I used to be that way. I used to be like that. I used to believe that way. I used to act that way. I used to trust in what they're trusting in. And listen, compared to me, These guys are nothing. I I outperform them all. Listen, verse 5, he said, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, one of of the the most aristocratic of the 12 tribes, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. What's Paul saying there? He's saying, listen, I was a high-ranking, overperforming, first-class Jew of Jews compared to these dogs. They are like little league, and I was an all-star major league Jew. And what I discovered 
was that it was all meaningless. It was meaningless. Look at verse 7. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. He's saying it's no longer about what I can do for God. It's all about what Christ has done for me. And it's a gift, a gift that you receive by faith. And can I say it's still true today. If anyone teaches you or tries to tell you that you've got to keep certain rules or go through certain rituals or go through certain individuals to be pleasing to God, that is heresy. And if they add to the true meaning of Scripture, their own little rules and regulations and give you the impression that unless you fall in line with them and what they have concluded that's not clear in Scripture, they are trying to enslave you with legalism that grace came to abolish. Paul said, I looked at that system And when Christ came and I met him on the road to Damascus that day, I came to realize all this rule-keeping to please God was worthless. Worthless. He goes on in verse 8. Yes, everything else is worthless compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. The infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He's saying it's not about religion. It's all about relationship. That, That you believe in Jesus. That you love him. That you trust him. That you abandon self and follow him so that you might know him. And understand, this is not know about him. Don't lose me here. It's not just knowing about him, though that has value. It it is not intellectual or even theological enrichment. It is about the intimate relationship where Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Without me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. It is about vital union with Christ, not in intellectual theological knowledge alone, but in an intimate spiritual relationship. I really think the writer of the old hymn captured it when he he wrote so long ago, he speaks. And the sound of his voice is so sweet that the birds hush their singing and the melody that he gave to me within my heart still is ringing. And he walks with me, and he talks with me, 
and he tells me I am his own, and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever It's not about religion. It's a relationship. It's a relationship. A relationship with a resurrected, living Lord and Savior and Master who walks with me and talks with me in the happy times and in the hard times. Knowing him is the greatest thing in life and all eternity. And the Apostle Paul got that. He understood that. That all that old stuff that used to be his life, he now viewed as worthy of being dumped in the landfill of his life. He goes on in the middle of verse 8. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. We'll come back to that word. So that I could gain Christ and become one with him. He said, I, I've realized all that other stuff is garbage. And the term there does not just refer to unusable items. Pastor Milt mentioned that we are downsizing. Can I just tell you downsizing is a real thing? <laughs> we are moving to a beautiful new home in Montgomery, but it's half the size of our current home. And you realize when you stay in one home for 20 years, you accumulate a lot of stuff. And my precious wife has been laboring over and going through and helping us figure out things that we don't need, things that won't fit, things that are, are not necessary for us to, to continue to have life. And sometimes those decisions are hard. And sometimes you, you need to sell things on Facebook Marketplace for just a few dollars. And sometimes you need to put it out for heavy trash. And some people pick it up and then the garbage guy gets the rest. They're unusable. They're, they're not terrible. They're just not usable items anymore. That's not what this term means. This term, and I don't mean to offend anybody, this term really means uh, things that are sewer waste, like human excrement that ought to be flushed from our lives. It's an ugly picture, but that's exactly what Paul says the whole rule-keeping system is. It needs to be flushed from your spiritual life. That it's not about pleasing God through being good. That it is by the grace of God. And everything else must be discarded. He goes on, verse 9, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Not anymore. Rather, 
I become righteous. This is so good. I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. How do you enter into this relationship that I keep talking about? You know, sometimes uh, theologians try to make it terribly complicated. I, I'm a simple-minded guy. Let me try to boil it down. In fact, I, I, I have long used a simple ABC acrostic. ABC, A begins with admit. Admit you are a sinner and you can't save yourself. No matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, no matter how good you try to be, you will never earn God's favor. You will never erase the sin of your heart, nor will I. Admit that you're a hopeless, helpless sinner and that you need something that you cannot provide for yourself. Admit. B is for believe. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Believe that Jesus is what he said in John 14, 6, the, the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. Believe that he's not one of a number of ways that you can be reconciled to God. He's the only way. Amen. Believe that the cross was sufficient to pay for your sin, every one of them, past, present, and future. Believe that what he said was true that he would be raised from the dead, ascended to the Father, and he's coming back again. Amen. Believe in Jesus. Admit, believe, and then see is commit. Commit. Commit your heart and life to follow him. You've heard me say this many times. There comes a point where you have to step across the line of faith. You've heard me say that, haven't you? Step across the line of faith. There, there comes a point in a person's life that's an unforgiven sinner, even if they're a religious person, where they, they understand they need to admit they're a sinner, they need to believe in Jesus, they need to commit to follow him, and they decide to do that, and they step across what I call the line of faith. And they are what John, Jesus called in John 3.16, being born again. Being born again. And the apostle Paul described it in his letter to the church in Rome, in Romans 10, 9 and 10. Love these two verses. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Saved. Sometimes we Baptists have shortchanged the word saved by just using it to refer to a past event. And Dr. Yancey talked about this a couple of weeks ago when he preached. Salvation actually has three dimensions. Past, present, and future. 
And they're theological terms, so hang with me here. The first term is justification. When you step across the line of faith, when you believe and commit to Jesus, you are suddenly justified with him. Your sin is forgiven once and for all. Those that say that you can lose it are in error. I love them, but they're in error because you are saved by grace through faith. You didn't do anything to acquire it, and you can't do anything to maintain it. Are you with me there? It's a, it, it's a bedrock belief of Bible-believing Southern Baptist. So, justification. You become in that past time, or for some of you, perhaps a future time, you become justified with God through faith in Jesus. Justification, that's past present is sanctification. It's not a moment in time experience. Sanctification is the lifelong journey of following Christ where if you are in vital union with Christ, you're becoming more like Christ. Many times it's three steps forward, two steps back, but it is a process of spiritual growth in which you become more and more like Jesus. That's sanctification. It starts at the point of, of justification, stepping across the line of faith. It ends, that part ends when God takes you home by physical death and heavenly transfer or when Jesus comes again. May it be so tomorrow, Lord. And then the third part, that's past and present, the, the third part is future, that's glorification. Now, if this doesn't get you fired up, your wood is wet. That is when we come to the end of the road of sanctification. We are at home with the Lord, and we are in his presence, in his glory, and we, as his forgiven, adopted children become glorified in his presence for eternity. Amen. Salvation, past, present, and future, justification, sanctification, glorification. And I say all that to say to everyone here in the worship center and those of you who are watching or listening, don't miss this. If you have never put your faith in Christ to save you, you must do so today before it's too late. Before it's too late. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be uh, inappropriate or manipulative here, but none of us know when our last day is on this earth. No matter what age we are, none of us know what our last day is on earth. And none of us know when Jesus is coming back, there are sincere spiritual leaders that have tried to pinpoint the day or the year. And folks, Jesus said pretty clearly to the apostles, only the Father knows. So I don't waste any time trying to figure out when he's coming back. I just use my time to say he is coming back. And we better be ready. And if you have not stepped across the line of faith, if you've not become a Christ follower by faith, you ought to do so today because you may not have tomorrow. 
And when you die or he returns, there will be no more opportunity. No one is guaranteed tomorrow. So, my encouragement to use the same as Paul. Don't settle for empty religion. Don't trust in religion when he is offering you joy in a relationship with him. He is offering you joy. That had become the Apostle Paul's glorious obsession. That's why he wrote Philippians. And he says, I I abandon all that rule-keeping stuff, and now my obsession is to know Christ in his glory and his joy and his power that will lead me to eternal life. Finish the passage with me, Philippians 3, 10, and 11. I love these verses. Paul opens his heart and he says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power. By the way, friends, if you're a believer and you're not living in the power of the Holy Spirit, you're missing one of the greatest blessings of God. His power is real and available to every Christ follower. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him. Paul was in prison when he wrote this. Why would he say, I want to suffer? Because he understood that the hard times helped him learn how to depend on Christ and become closer to Christ. So instead of whining, why am I in prison? Why did God do this to me? He he said, I want to suffer because I grow closer to Christ. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. It's not about religion. It's a relationship. Stand with me and sing this. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there None other has ever known. Father, we thank you for the relationship that is ours through faith in your Son. We thank you that we are not enslaved in the legalism of rule-keeping or religion. But Lord, instead... We are coming to know Christ more each day by the presence and power of his spirit within us. We are not perfect so far from it, but you are perfect. And as Paul said, it is not I who lives, it is Christ who lives in me. Lord, set us free from legalism and give us the joy and freedom of grace and the power 
to live in grace and to look more like Jesus every day. Lord, I want to I pray for anyone that is here or watching at home or listening that has never come to know Christ as Savior. Maybe they've been religious, maybe even a Baptist for, for perhaps decades. Who, who knows? But they've never gotten saved. And I pray, Lord, today would be the day that your Holy Spirit would capture their heart and draw them to salvation. And that when we extend the invitation here in a moment, those who are present in the worship center that need to be saved would come forward. That they would not care about anything else except coming to know Christ. And as your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'm going to ask our deacons and their wives to come forward who are prayer partners. And in just a moment, we will invite you to come. If you need prayer, they'll pray with you about anything you need. If you're sick, come and Cindy and I will anoint you and pray over you that you might be healed. But most of all, if you are still under the curse of sin because you've never received Christ as Savior, just come and say this, I need to be saved. And we'll show you how. Father, we commit this time to you. May your will be done. May your spirit do what this preacher cannot do. May you draw those to faith who need you. In Jesus' name, amen.